A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 101, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Oh, a week off. It was almost too much time. I missed the professor, Pete Steinberg. We're not on top of the Coliseum anymore, Pete. You're back in the lab. I'm here in the MLR corporate offices, uh, destination unknown. And uh, we've had a week to kind of decompress and, and think about everything that was 2021. But how are, you, how are you feeling about getting back to these normal settings and not being in the Coliseum anymore? Well, I mean, I, you know, it was funny. Thank God for the Olympics. I think if, if I didn't have the Olympics for sport to watch constantly, like MLR every weekend, Dan, has been like eight hours to, to eight, 10, I think even some 12 hours of rugby that we've, we've been watching on a weekend. And, and I miss it. I mean, I think that we need to look back and, and I know... You know, we we saw the commissioner and you can still catch, you know, you, you can catch the live show, right? I think you can still catch it on Facebook and YouTube. You can, it'll be in your podcast feed. It's definitely worth worth the listen. We had a great chat with uh, um, the commissioner, Reese Edwards, um, players and coaches from both teams. But, you know, and the commissioner talked, talked about being 99 and 0 and having no cancellations from COVID. But like, yes, absolutely. And I think the league staff and all the team staff should be... Um, uh, commended for that but for me it was the competitiveness of the games like we had weekends where every game was within seven points there's no way there's a league in the world that's as competitive as MLR especially like the Eastern Conference I mean and, and by the end it, even in the Western Conference teams like Seattle were, were you know were, were competitive yeah. so you know I, I think I really missed that excitement you know of, of looking forward to this weekend and having games they're like man i can't wait to watch those games and then not watching a game so you didn't think it was going to be anything and then realizing it was a bomb burner and there was like a just got the try in the, in the last minute so so i've had a little bit of decompression from mlr um but it's it is a little sad so i love the olympics and it's just i just love watching i love the, what it stands for it's funny though watching the Olympics in my 20s and all the sports that I'm like, oh, I could do that. And now the number of sports is shrinking as I get older. I'm down to, I think, archery. It's probably the last yeah, time I've like, And like shooting. I can, I can make the Olympics in archery. And now I'm like, oh, my eyes. I go get my eyes checked. And they're like, oof, going the wrong way, Mr. Power. And it's like, okay, archery might be getting a bit. Winter Olympics, curling. I'm coming in hot. Um but yeah, it has been a good little fill, but what a season. I'll just echo everything you said there. It's a great achievement from everyone to go 99-0. Um, I, I will put my hand up and say 
I didn't think it would happen at the start of the year. Well, I, I think, yeah, I'm not I, sure any, I mean, everyone had doubts, right? Everyone had doubts. Yeah. I figured there was a speed bump somewhere along the line, just with all the travel, someone gets infected. And, and you coach for a long time, Pete. Um, it used to be ringworm, right? And I know everyone's going to be like, it gross. But ringworm was the biggest enemy of a rugby team because yeah. once one person got it, boom, it ran through. You had to basically burn everything or bleach everything and, and get going. So the fact we did get through it like that is a testament and, to and, so many people. And also to finish up with the Coliseum, I mean, I felt really privileged to be there to be, you know, up in, on, on, the, on, the, on the very top, right? With that great view of, of Hollywood. And it's just such a great setting. I wasn't, I had huge FOMO. I flew back Saturday night, watched the game, huge FOMO because it looked like, you know, seven and a half thousand people in the stands, um, you know, uh, Adam Ash doing the halftime show as a DJ. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't Adam Ash. It was DJ Big Sexy. You got to okay, get the so stage DJ Big Sexy. Um, Steve Oak at the end. I mean, it just looked like I mean the Giltinis have really done a great, a great job trying to like trying to make a, a mark in in like LA and New York are probably the two cities that are most difficult to make any kind of mark because they're you know there's so much to do and um and they're so big. But I mean the Giltinis and and the crew there did it did a great job in the Coliseum. Like when I heard Dan, oh, they're gonna be doing things in the Coliseum, I was like, huh? But it's 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 a special place, and you could see when the players we were there for the captains' run. You could see the players kind of looking around from from you know Utah, and, he, and even the Giltinis. They're like the setting here is just phenomenal. Or and, or Atlanta, sorry Atlanta. Final. That's what I meant. So <laughs> right. the weekend before, and um, but but even Darren Darren Coleman, when I asked him, I said you know I asked him I, um, you know what's the thing that he's going to remember? He's going to say sitting in that coach's box at the Coliseum and having that view of like downtown LA, it's just iconic. Yeah. Was the official number 7,500? I heard some much larger numbers kind of in days afterwards that the 75 may have been a bit preemptive that the number yeah, was maybe significantly it was. That's, that's, uh, I, I, I don't know what any, I, you know, it's always hard to find official numbers, but even it's, if, if, you know, 7,500 itself, I think is a record for a final. Stats boy. I heard 10,800 was a number that was put so out there as well. So the number I have for official sold tickets that were used was 7,500. So there was probably, okay. there was comps. I know that, but I don't, that okay, was so the 7,500 sold. And that, okay. att- that was used. It was used. So that was a use. So I don't, but I don't know how many were actually sold. So either way, I think that's, if you only use that number, there were only 10,000 allocated tickets total. So that's at least a 75% use rate of total allocated tickets. That's really high, but that's the highest regular season attended game in the history of Major League Rugby and the second highest game in the history of Major League Rugby ever, which was the the first preseason game for Utah in 2018. Yeah, um, 9,000. Was that nine, just over 9,000, that like one? 9,400, I think. Yeah, yeah. It just, it just, I listen, by no stretch of my professional people counter inside stadiums, but it just felt like it was a bit bigger than 7,500, but we'll leave that alone. Well, tonight's banter, as always, brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by the rugby shop. Let's actually talk about the final. We've kind of talked about everything else around the final. Let's talk about the game. Now, you, you, you left me on Saturday night and went home and watched it. How did it come across on TV for you? So I thought, I thought first of all, I thought the broadcast, the, the work that um, you, Brian, 
uh, Bree and James did was phenomenal. I think it's probably the best MLR broadcast we've ever had. Um, so I thought as a show, Mark and Stacy for the uh, pre-game and halftime and post-game was great. Stacy's amazing at the end of the games, being able to round that up. So I thought as a show, it was really good. As a game, I actually really enjoyed it. It, it was a really interesting game for me because it was playing out, it was playing out um, how I thought it might play out, but it wasn't playing out the way Atlanta wanted it to. Like, so Atlanta wanted it to be an arm wrestle and it was an arm wrestle for what most of the first half. And then Utah scored two tries. Utah. They and weren't man. playing. Man, you love Utah. I do love Utah. LA scored two tries um, in just a few minutes, right? Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, that was kind of the game. And that's what, that's what LA do. Like Atlanta did it. We're playing the game. They were having the arm wrestle, right? It was being played. I think that first off mainly in um, uh, LA's half, but Atlanta had a couple of lineouts in that first half that they couldn't convert and they had to convert all of them. Like if you look at the stats, right? Carries, you know, Atlanta had 82 and LA had a hundred. So not a huge difference, but LA had seven line breaks. And Atlanta had one. And, and that's what we thought. Atlanta really struggled, you know, were struggling to generate the, uh, um, the the offense they needed. And they didn't have the edge in the scrum. They really needed that edge in the scrum and they just weren't able to get it consistently in the game. Yeah. You know, the, the higher the level of rugby you go and play, the, the opportunities become less and less. Yeah. Uh, the ability to convert on those opportunities becomes harder and harder. And that's where I think the difference was is LA had Matt Gitto. And both those tries that uh, Ryberg scored came off Gitto brilliance. He put a little shape inside. You know what they show? Show inside, play out. And, and he did it perfectly and then went through and picked up Ryberg, who's, you know, he'd probably be one of the best finishers in Major League Rugby. It definitely the scariest one-on-one -on -one to have him barreling down at you. And just a moment later, just a little opportunity. Saw that... Uh, Fullback was a little deep there for ATL and put that little one across the top. Adam Ashley Cooper knew exactly what was going on. Boom, two tries. And that was effectively the difference in the end. So, yeah. And, and I think, you know, so, so a couple of things, um, you know, Atlanta lost now in the, in, in the first half. Right. And so that was, that was a big loss, but then once they went down, they didn't really have the game plan to be able to come back and then it was too late for their bench. So, you know, you look at the, you know, the type five of LA, um, Abel played 79 minutes, right? Valanu mm -hmm. played 76 minutes. Fipalai played 76 minutes. Dennis played 80 minutes. Then who played 80 minutes? Like they all played, they had one type five, right? By the time they yeah. got there, like they had so many injuries that they had one type five and the, um, the bench, of uh, ATL wasn't able to get the edge. I think that they they provided a little bit, but by then they had to score too many points to catch up. Yeah, it was it was a, an effective game plan too. And, and the the ATL beating LA early in the year, in hindsight, was probably the worst thing that could happen to them because talking to a lot of the LA play, players afterwards, they kind of talk retrospectively about what they learned from that game yeah. and right. went away and Darren Coleman's just an incredibly sharp coach and that staff there and playing roster 
would have just picked that game. But I'm sure they probably would have watched that game more than any other game going into the final, uh, even though ATL's team was quite different from the team that they faced that day. Just on, this is kind of where we're going to win this game. And the kicking game, again, Matt Harrison, Goddard, their kicking game was just far better than what ATL were able to do. And yeah, it's just, I, I had the feeling calling the game that before a ball was kicked, I kind of got the sniff of an upset because it was it's MLR, man. It's like it always does the opposite of what you think it's going to do. And LA was super loose and relaxed and calm. And I'm like, the script says LA wins this game. So Atlanta's going to win. And it was like our picks this year. You'd almost get inside your own head and talk yourself out of it. Well, it's more like my picks. Like your picks worked out pretty well. My picks, I always got in my head and I never got it right. So. Yeah. But as the game got into that arm wrestle, which we all thought Atlanta wanted, but LA were winning the arm wrestle, I'm like, oof. Like if anyone's going to score think, points, it's going to be LA. I, I think one of the really impressive things that I had, and you probably felt this a little bit more than as you got to um, visit with the LA players after the game, but it certainly was true with the LA players that I, I caught up with when I was there, is that I think that, you know, it's funny, you think about it, you've got like Matt Ghetto, Darren Coleman, Dave Dennis, you, you know, um, Adam Ashley Cooper, these guys that have years, decades, right, of professional rugby, but this is the first time any of them have ever created a team from scratch, mm-hmm. right? The first time they've turned up and there's been nothing there. And I think when you talk to all of them, they really talked about the culture and that it was the culture of the team that was special. And Dave Dennis in particular, I think, was being, has been a real driver of that culture and that there's a huge amount of accountability there, that people put their hands up, that they work really hard. And I think it's going to be interesting because there's going to be a lot of change in that roster, right? Um, you know, assistant coach steps up, head coach steps away. You know, some questions about some other guys that are coming back, whether they can hold on to that culture. Because that seemed to be the thing, especially when you talk to the, the, the people involved in the team, that, that's what they'll say is special about it. It wasn't the 100 cat wallabies, right? It was the culture that was around the team that, that made it special. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they can hold on to that. Is it something that's now being created from scratch? And I think as, as players, you, it's one thing that you can almost pick up on straight away is culture. And so went down, I wanted to catch up with DC after the game and went into the locker room uh, to have a beer and have a chat to him. And James Patterson was with me and the celebrations were in full swing at this point. And James kind of nudged me and says, do you have one more year in you? And it's weird. He's just like, if I was here, like, absolutely. Right, right. You were amazing. like, yeah, go get the boots. Right? Let me pretty pretty much. And it's, it's funny because culture is such a, a buzzword, not only in sports, in business and everything. Like everyone talks culture, culture. But I don't think a lot of people actually understand it. They just kind of use the word thinking, well, It'll sort itself out. But looking at that team, the, the, the thing that makes Darren Coleman such a great coach is not only the ability to let his players build this culture and enforce it, but to let go and say, you guys got this. Like that's, you know, right. it's almost like a father, right? Like the training wheels are off now. This is your team. Run it. And, and to have that confidence in his leadership group which I think was everyone. I don't, like Dave Dennis and Dave Dennis. Everyone I asked, I said, "Where's this culture driven from?" Like, where Dave Dennis? It's Dave Dennis. It's Dave Dennis. And and listening to him talk and the way he handled himself. And we had some audio of the captain's run. 
like the words he used, how he, oh, I'm getting goosebumps now because I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm yeah, ready. Yeah, I'm I'll like, play for you, Dave. And I'm like, if any team is desperate enough to sign me, we're not playing in a championship. So <laughs> even none of this would ever happen anyway, but uh, it, it was special. All right, we, we've, we've kind of gone down the LA route and they deserve all the credit because of what they did and, and, and the huge expectations that met them and, and they met those head on and won the championship. ATL, I've got to give credit to Scott Lawrence and the whole organisation down there. I don't think many people thought much of ATL coming into the year, um, but they put together an amazing season out of a very tough conference. The Eastern Conference was extremely tough and they had a really tough semifinal win over New York, who had they lost twice to during the season. They uh, they had a great year at ATL. I think they, they it hurts now, but I think they can hold their heads high and, and they'll look back at a pretty special year. Well, I think I think one of the things that and, and I got a chance to talk with Scott a little bit um, around the captain's run. You know, I, I don't think ATL. I think with LA, especially with it being the first year, and especially with some of the guys that are moving on, it you know it felt like you know win or die, right? Like the win was really important to them, and I think for the players, it, like the win for ATL was really important. But I think you know for the for the leadership of, of the organization, this is like the first step, right? This is like. Like, like the, the game and, and you know, you, you hear this from some of the better teams, I think, in the league, whether it's Utah or whether it's NOLA, right? Or we're now hearing it a bit from Seattle. It's, these, it's the teams that have these long-term plans. So making the final was great for ATL, probably a surprise to them, probably not in their planning, right? Um, but I think, I think that they're already thinking about what's next, what they need to do to improve, how they need to change their structure. Um, you know, they, they, uh, I actually talked with Scott a little bit when, when they were struggling and, and he made some pretty strong choices as a coach to be able to let go a bit and let the players again, take more control. It's interesting, you know, I've, I've been hearing a lot about, and I can't remember if we talked about it on this podcast, but you know, about the uh, English soccer team and how well they did and, and what Gareth Southgate, their coach does. And one of the things everyone's talking about is that Gareth is learning from rugby. He's giving players empowerment. And I think Scott empowered his players more as the season went on. And I think that was, that was really good. You know, they, they brought a physicality to the game that was phenomenal. Um, you know, they, they had injuries like Nell, who was their captain, basically didn't play all season. You didn't know it. Kurt Coleman didn't play all season, right? Didn't, didn't know it. So they definitely had some significant injuries. And, you know, they were in the game, except for those two line breaks, those two bits of brilliance by Gitto, right? If it wasn't for those two bits of brilliance by Gitto, this is a, the toss-up game that ATL wanted to have. It's just against a team that has so much firepower, it's hard to hold them out for 80 minutes and not expect them to, to do something, right? Um, but I think, I think that they played the game plan they were supposed to play. They played the systems they were supposed to play. It worked out the way it, it was supposed to work out, except for, you know, one, which is actually a defensive error, the pass to Ryberg back inside. There wasn't cover there. But the second bit of the kick and the and, and the – you know, I mean, that's just like, that's just brilliant. Stuff. You just got to applaud yeah. when that happens. Yeah. Right? I, I, yeah. I, and, and I will say a shout out to um, the guys in the truck and to JP Doyle for the TMO use on, on the kick to be able to see if Adam Ashley Cooper was behind the kicker. It was, it was, it was a great example of how we could use the TMO, but also explain the game. Was he on side? He was on side. You have to be fully in front. He was on side. He was on side. Good call. 
All right. Hey, I need you to do me a favor, Professor. Take off the lab coat. Put on the tuxedo because it's award season, baby. We're giving out some awards. We had the announcement earlier this week for our uh, all-MLR team, which uh, is is become a great tradition here in Major League Rugby for our first and second. And then honourable mentions this year as well. So as the talent pool deepens, there was a lot of uh, nominees. So great stuff. You can get online onto the uh, MLR socials to check out those teams. We're going to have a few of them on here who won their positional awards. And I'm not going to give away the name, so you're going to have to listen for an extra 10 seconds. But let's start things off. Your drum roll for me. Brrr, uh, National Lampoons. Is that two pop culture? You got that one? The other one? No, Where Clark's got the lights? Cool. Okay. Uh, let's kick things off with the big one. Our player of the year who is coming up now. Okay, joining the show now is our 2021 Major League Rugby Player of the Year from the Utah Warriors, Mike Teo. And Mikey, first, congratulations from all of us here, not only on the show, but around the league on the selection as Player of the Year. Just an outstanding achievement and a great reward for what was a brilliant season for yourself. First and foremost, mate, obviously a little... We'll go the disappointing stuff first and we'll get into positive. (laughs) A game short of the championship, but just give us a little reflection on the year that was for you and the Warriors. Oh man, that's yeah. If we want to start with the negative stuff first, uh, man, just just heartbreaking Sorry. loss at the end. Uh, no, I'm just man. We're just we're just really grateful, eh? Uh, just grateful how we played and you know how we put ourselves in the right position to win. Uh, just battling throughout the season, you know, we we're trying to catch up to LA the whole time. Uh, you know, they went on that undefeated streak, trying to get the number two spot in the West and then put ourselves in a good spot to be number one. And then, uh, you know, LA ran away with it, but to be able to clinch playoffs uh, with, without playing, without having to play the last game, that's a, that's a big, uh, big achievement for us at, at Utah. And um, uh, just great, great momentum moving forward. And hopefully we can, you know, finish the job uh, come next year. So just, just really happy, really proud of my guys. Yeah, so obviously that's uh, an announcement. You are coming back next year with the Warriors in 2022? Yes, 100%. 100%. There it is, Warriors fans. Lock it in. Hey, um, let, let's talk a bit. We had you on the show recently, and we kind of touched a lot of the stuff that is Mikey Teo, but I want to dive into some of the, the, the thought processes that you had during the year and that went into your Player of the Year performances. Firstly, Leaving San Diego to go to Utah, and we, we talked about that a little bit last time, but emotionally and mentally, how, how was that process for you, going through that decision to leave an established club in San Diego to, to a team, in, in all fairness to Utah, you know, it's easy to look back at the year that was and say, yeah, well, Utah's legit, but coming into this season, they, they were an up-and-down team. Yeah, I, you know, I've played Utah the, since... Uh, 2019 played them twice 2020 we played them preseason uh when i was with legion and then um you know trading changing over uh to utah i think it's been one of the best choices i've made uh personally uh my wife and i we we prayed on it and we decided to choose utah there's a few options on the west coast to choose from uh, we chose utah and 
it's uh, it's just been been such a blessing since day one since uh since I arrived there. So and I'm not I'm never I can't look back. Uh, just looking forward. I'm just excited for you know, what we did with Utah. Uh, they only won, you know, they won two games last year in a five game season. And then the year before, I think they only won a handful. So to be able to, you know, make the semis this year with the, you know, the heart and the, the hard work the guys did this year, it's, it's really inspiring. And, um, and I can't wait to get back there and, and work with the guys again. What were the big differences you noticed it early on uh, in the season coming from San Diego over to Utah? Well, Utah, it's a, um, it's definitely, you know, it's more part part time than full time. Uh, with Legion, you know, we were there early in the morning and training all the way to three thirty. But at Utah, most of the guys on our team have full time jobs. Uh, you know, some guys work construction, some guys are roofers, some guys are teachers, and you know, they come uh, they come to practice at six p.m. and we finish at ten. Uh, it's just. You know they're they're working their whole day the whole day from you know nine to five and then six to ten so that was the biggest thing I noticed and uh, yeah it's hard to it's hard to ask a lot out of a guy who's been on the roof all day and then come to practice give it was giving his heart up yeah I was chatting to some of the the guys there talking about Sayu Hiller you know the construction business and that sort of stuff and but still. It, it, it's almost a little old school, isn't it? Like you like back to the days where professional rugby, you know, you go back before 1995, didn't exist. So that was just the norm, you know, you're on the tools or you're working, you know, a lot of guys were in banking and stuff like that. And then you get out and, and play. There's almost a greater appreciation for the time you have on the field with your teammates and then on the field playing the game as well. So let's talk a little teammates now. You're joined in team of the year by uh, your hooker, Sam Malolo. Dude only has to play half the games and makes team of the year and tops the try score. Imagine if you played a full season, big summer. But Aston Fortain, I believe, was in the second. And I'm just quickly scouring through to make sure I didn't miss anyone. It just uh, and Angus McClellan. My apologies to Angus. So let's talk about those three first. Big big Sammy Malolo joins in the side. How was it playing with him? And uh, obviously, in a limited capacity, I guess, because he only plays uh, every other week. It would seem. Yeah, actually roomed with Sama, uh, Sama and Ratu, so the other two hookers, and we were all uh, we're in our own condo together. Uh, Sama's a great guy. I'm so so proud of him the way you know what he did this season in the you know the handful of games he played in. Uh, you know he's got Super Rugby experience. Uh, you know he got called up to the I believe the Reds for a few games, and you now just seeing uh, his physicality, he's one guy in practice. I always try to. Uh, try to run at because I knew he would always bring it no matter what, if it was, I don't know, if it was uh, every tackle drill, every rep drill, I know he was, he would go hundred percent and he's one of the best in the league. So every time I got a rep to go with him, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm getting myself better and uh, he's making everybody else better around us. Yeah. I'm trying to think today they, they put you in rooms by body type, like body shape, you Ratu and Summer. I mean, <laughs> you need to go talk to Pittman about that because come on, man. Uh, this is I know. from full back. What are you doing to me? Didn't help with my diet, but you know, <laughs> oh, the guys yeah. there. I guess they're they're going off my under twenty hooker days. So, oh, and those those were the days. Glorious suit, best feet in under twenty world rugby, and it hasn't changed. <laughs> hey, let's talk about your year. What stood out for you as your best performance this year? Uh, best performance. Um, I'd have to say, I believe, is the the first Houston game. Uh, finally, me and Mika, I think it was our, it might've been our first game together, 
well, we eventually, well, we started to link up really well. That was fun being able to, you know, put him away and uh, him putting me away and then putting basketball away. And we were just playing running rugby, uh, especially going down 12-0 in like the first five minutes. One, I knew that our team could fight back from deficits. And two, um, you know, we we're pretty dangerous once we get the ball out, you know, to our to our wide men. So, uh, yeah, I think that was one of the that was a big, big eye opener for us. Like, hey, man, we can we can play rugby in this league and we can uh, get the job done if we if we really want it. Now, you you had the reputation as a team as the comeback kids. You know, you, it was uncanny the number of weeks where you would be behind. Sometimes in almost impossible scenarios, you think about the San Diego game uh, at Utah, you come back and win. Where, where did that confidence come from to come back and win those games? Was it something that after a couple of those comebacks, you started to consciously think about in those games? We're like, we're never out of this. Um, but where did the initial confidence come from? I think, um, I think those games that we came back, we just, we just believed, you know, you know, we're not, we're not the team to go score three tries in 10 minutes. We're the team that'll are, you know, we'll go down 07, seven points. And then we're, we're going to fight back the whole game either way. And sometimes we give away like easy or lucky tries, but we kind of just told, uh, I kind of just told the boys like, Hey, everything we do is earned. You know, we don't want, I mean, we would love like a lucky bounce every now and then, but we didn't get the lucky bounce the first, you know, seven games. Uh, eventually, you know, our luck eventually came when we're winning the games at the 83rd minute, 82nd minute, 85th minute. Um, yeah, you know, bounce of a ball, bounce of our ball, but you know, we earned all those tries. You know, those 17 points against uh, San Diego, we earned those in the last 13 minutes of the game. Yeah, I, I actually got to call a few of those the old glory one at home and then the New York one in New York. Uh, firstly, thank you for making my job easier. Like when you guys played rugby like that, it wasn't hard to keep the excitement levels up, up in the commentary box, but. Poor Sean Pittman. I think if you do like a, a hair follicle challenge from the start of the year to the end of the year, if possibly had less. But Pitters, he, he wins Coach of the Year for Major League Rugby, deserved award. Tell us a little about your relationship with the Seans, Davies and Pittman, and how much of an influence they had on your game this year. Had a good relationship with uh, Sean Pittman. You know, we worked together with... Uh when he was with, you know, the USA um, and Sean Davies had played alongside him for you know, the past few years. So there was a good open conversation, uh, communication, and they, um, they essentially like let us kind of run, run things. So they would give us the, the hard, you know, they give it the, the structure and the game plan, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't yell at us if we're losing, they wouldn't yell at us, you know, if we're, if we're um, missing tackles or doing anything bad, they would just, Hey, like, we, we know you're better than this. We, it was like a grown Grown up, grown men conversation. It wasn't the traditional, um, I don't know, American coaches screaming at you, going crazy. It was, hey, we're, you know, we're better than this. So, you know, let's pick it up. Let's do it right. And I think it, like we just ran with it. Everyone had a good, uh, good, good perspective on the team. There's no egos. Everyone kind of just showed up 6 p.m., did our job, had a good time. And, you know, we hung out on the weekends after the game. So, Definitely had a good bond, great bond. Uh, there wasn't any separation between, you know, the different cultures. Everyone actually came together and we were just here to work and be the comeback kids this year. So, Yeah, that's not what some of your teammates told me about you, but I'll leave them out for this one because this is, this is, this is a positive part of it. So what's, what's next, Mikey? What's next for you? You come back to the Warriors next year. 
Uh, obviously, the, the chapter of 2021 for Major League Rugby closes. What's next on the rugby landscape for you? For the rugby, um, I have a baby due in the next week. So kind of just preparing Absolutely for nothing. You're done. You <laughs> Absolutely shut nothing. down. Yeah. Um, there is a USA Canada qualifiers, but I won't be on it. Um, I'm just going to stay with my family. Uh, I will I will be putting my hand up for the Uruguay tour just for the World Cup qualifiers and then All Blacks in Ireland. So I'll put my hand up and if I get selected, I'll be ready. Uh, but if not, you know, spend time with my family and report to Utah the December 1st, I believe is the report date. So you'll be ready to play and ready to get some sleep, which is kind of shocking to think on tour that you actually get more sleep. But trust me, with a newborn in the house, you'll get more sleep on tour than you will at home. But, uh, mate, we, we appreciate you jumping on. Again, absolute privilege this year calling you. Uh, your game continues to grow. It's crazy to think. How old are you now? You've got to be at least 40, right? You've been playing that long. Yeah, about 40. We'll just keep it there. <laughs> no. How old? Come on, Mikey. How old uh, are you? 28. 28. Uh, how are you 28 still? I feel like I was 28 a year ago, and then I'm like, I'm not. But, um now, I've got to the age, Mike, where I'm going to go the opposite. When people ask my age, I'm just going to add 10 years. And they're like, oh, you look so good for your age instead of saying my age. And they're like, oh, really? You're, you're that? Oh, I wouldn't have picked it. But all right, brother. Good luck with uh, the delivery, the baby. Uh, best luck to you and the beautiful bride. Congratulations from all of us on that. And congratulations again. Play of the year in 2021. Go Warriors. All right. Thank you. Yep. Have a good one. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Mikey. There you have it, Mikey Tao from the Utah Warriors. And what a season it was. A lot of people kind of raised their eyebrows when Mikey left San Diego. He's a Southern California kid and, you know, he was pretty entrenched with the Legion. The Legion, obviously, 5-0 last year. And I don't think many people thought they were going to fall off as much as they did in 2021. But Paxi's bags, he talks about it. Him and his his now wife uh, prayed and they said, go to Utah. So, Whatever God told them that, the Warriors fans can be thankful to that God that uh, they got Mikey Taylor. But brilliant year, brilliant player. I think most impressive for me, Pete, we know he's an attacking you know, player, but I felt that his leadership was what I saw the most growth in Mikey this year is the way that he handled a pretty young back line around him and become a leader in that team. Yeah, I think it's right. I mean, you're right. I mean, he has, you know, great step. He's a really difficult um, runner, you know, breaks tackles, difficult to bring down. Um, I, I think, I think, you know, technically his kicking game has really improved. I think that's been been a piece. But, but you're right. I think at the back, you know, um, his, his partnership with, you know, Cruze and and, and Whippy is is really exciting. Um, and you know, they feed off each other. And I think that's that's what you want. It's the sort of back three that they're, you know, you're back there and you're like, please kick the ball. Fly half, please kick the ball. We want you to kick the ball, right? And their ability to counterattack. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, well-deserved player of the year award. Yep, it was a good one. All right, moving along now. The next big one. Well, it doesn't get any bigger than this because they're usually the biggest players on the field. I'm talking the numbers one through eight, the single-digit crew, minus the scrum half, of course who's, in Pete's opinion, the most important player on the field. Let's go forward of the year for Major League Rugby in 2021 is coming up now. All right. Joining us now is the 2021 Major League Rugby forward of the year from Rugby ATL, Johan Momsen. 
Buddy, we just had you on the show and unsurprisingly, player of the week and now forward of the year. How does that sound? Sounds great. <laughs> Surprised, but yeah. Very, well, not uh, as surprised as we were too. I saw your name. I'm like, who's that? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about your experience in ATL, uh, your first year over here, um, uh, full, full, full year over here, sorry. What, what's your takeaway from your time down in Atlanta? Oh, uh, basically, oh, loved, loved every moment of it. Um, been playing rugby for a long time, and uh, the experience I had there was great. Uh, you would think uh, maybe not learn so much, but I, I really learned probably more about rugby there than, in this last two years than I really did playing professional rugby in South Africa even. Um, just the amount of detail we go through, and everything is about development, so the reasoning behind why we do things is it's very much player driven um, and that, that really develops you as a player. So I think I, I, grew, I grew a lot and I learned a lot uh, down there in Atlanta. So I hate to bring this up, but a week ago, you and I were chatting in LA after the game. Let's look at the positive side. It's a great season, obviously, to get there. Uh, you were the number one team coming out of the East. It was always going to be a tough ask to travel to LA to take on that team. What were your thoughts on the final? Uh, and obviously anything, you know, you don't want to live in regret, but anything that you, you feel could have been done differently to change that result? Uh, let's start with what, what happened. I think uh, LA was was good on the day. I mean, the brilliant side. Um, for us to beat them, we would have had to be on our best again, um, especially in dry weather. They love throwing the ball around. And uh, I think they just, they probably came out dominated us a bit we're physically aware that is probably our strength um, they took away some of our strength in the set piece to Dave Dennis and them they did really well competing so I think that put us under pressure in where we are strong and uh, we just couldn't I say let's say get get uh, solutions quick enough um, to overturn that and uh, what we'll do different is probably just I think being a very young squad this year uh, everyone learned a lot out of that out of that uh, occasion and going forward, we'll know what, what it will have to take to win it next year or the year after. Yeah. So what, what are the plans for 2022? How long is the contract with ATL? Obviously you're, you're back home now in South Africa. You'll be playing down there with the Grikas. Did I say that right? Yeah. Grikas. Yeah. Look at me go. Grikas. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, are the, what are the plans for next season for Johan Momsen? Yeah, going back over to Atlanta in December. Um, hopefully, I'll be there for a few more years. Uh, like I said, I really enjoyed my time over there and uh, learned a lot and can't wait for, for a few more years down there. All right, let's 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 talk about your personal performances. You, you win the award here for forward of the year, which is, which is no mean task because you look at some of the quality players this year, I really felt that MLR was dominated by forwards. Uh, this season. So to be the, the top dog is, is a pretty great mm-hmm. honor to have. What performance stood out for you this year personally? What game did you really felt you stood up in? Uh, personally, for me, uh, I think uh, for me, the game that we played LA in Atlanta, um, we, we really focused on disrupting their set piece a lot. And I think I got uh, one or two line out steals, even Marnu and Connor Cook. Uh, 
we really did well disrupting them and they couldn't launch off that. So I think um, for me being in charge of that line-out set piece, uh, it was great to, to, to get some return on that and see that it, yeah, we, we really put some pressure on them there. And I think that's what helped us get that game. Um, yeah, and team-wise, I think our team, just Nola, that, that I think that was the mm. turning point for our season, really. So yeah, for for the two performances, personally and our team, that was it. That that's become actually really great, right? And, and it's one that already exists, obviously, in the NFL with the Falcons and the Saints. If, but both sides have really bought into that. I really enjoy those games. I've done a couple of Atlanta Nola games, and it always seems to go up another level. Who? Let's take Nola out of the equation. Uh, who was the team that was the toughest for you to play against this year? Let's just go Eastern think, Conference. We'll leave LA out of it as yeah. well. Just make it even harder for you. Yeah, I was. Uh, I would have to say Rooney. Uh, we've been struggling against them pretty much every time we played until we played the the, the Eastern Conference final. And uh, yeah, I think they just they 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 managed to disrupt us, um, and we we always struggle to get into our game plan um, to really to really execute against them. So for us, that was the biggest challenge coming in that into that Eastern Conference final against them is really just executing our plan because we knew we could always beat them. It was just we never executed and they, they did well disrupting us. So, yeah, I think that's that's the second one for me after Nola. Right, let's talk about some of your teammates. You're joined in the uh, All-MLR first team by Chance Wangluski up front. Uh, in the second team, Jason Darm, who probably minus an ACL injury there at the end, probably would have made the first team. And then uh, Mark O'Keefe, Cowboy. Do you think Cowboy would have made the first if they would have taken after-match performances into consideration as well, knowing uh, for his off-field extracurricular parting and, and being obviously the most talented after-match performer in the league? I think Marky did well. Uh, he had a brilliant... Uh, he was probably, what's the word, revelation for us when he, when he came there. Uh, I think he, he really sparked things up. Um, really made us get some momentum in the back. And uh, yeah, I think Mark probably deserves deserves all the credit for it. Um, too bad he couldn't, I mean, make the team all the time. There was just so much depth in our back line. That it was tough to pick a side and that's always good. So, um, but yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess unlucky for him, but he can, he could definitely just as well be in that first team. Yeah, it was, it was one of those good stories too, right? Like where comes from the the proverbial scrap heap of MLR and a late contract. And there was, it was an injury, right? An ATL that kind of opened the door for him to come in. Was it was it Kurt's yeah. injury or someone else pulled out late? Yeah, I think it was uh, Ryan, Ryan Nels and Kurt. That's right, it was Nelly, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit uh, about what's next. So you are in South Africa playing there. How was the trip back home? Obviously, you went pretty quickly after LA. And then what's uh, what's next over there for you? Yeah, it was a pretty long travel. Uh, good three hours, I think, spent, spent traveling. Uh, arrived back here, drove to Kimberley the next day, another 10 hours. So, Oof. yeah, it was pretty, pretty tight. Had a good travel here, but... Um, settled down, start, started training with everyone today. And uh, yeah, the first match for Griquas is is on Wednesday. Um, I won't be playing in that one, but hopefully hopefully I can get, get locked in sometime. Um, 
to to or maybe in the next round just just have to settle in learn all the calls again um so yeah it's 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 a little bit more studying for me currently than playing for this for this next few days maybe where can atl fans watch uh, is the league available in the us uh the curry cup i'm not actually sure it's on rugby pass i don't know if you signed up to that and uh yeah, I don't know. Maybe some some streaming websites, but that's that's probably not not good to mention on a for on a on a, on a professional podcast, right? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, sure we'll find you somewhere. It. Yeah. I don't know well, I was gonna I was gonna say enjoy the enjoy the off season, but it seems as though your off season's already over. So what you get four four days <laughs> in your off season, but uh, yeah, looking forward to having you back. Five more games, maybe, and then we'll have a good rest for the next MLR season. Oh, okay. So that season's almost done. You've just you're going to finish yeah, yeah. off. I arrived uh, pretty much halfway through. Ah, uh, uh, see, who's being unprofessional now? Me. I should know every rugby competition's <laughs> calendar in the world. Yeah, so, well, enjoy that rest, Johan. It's been great, mate. Absolute privilege calling your games this year. Loved what you were doing for ATL. I'm sure. Uh, the the millions of Rattlesnakes fans down in, in the South there in Atlanta are excited to see you back next year with Rugby ATL. Thank you very much, Ben. Cheers, brother. It. Forward of the year, Johan Momsen. Beautiful stuff. Big Johan Momsen. Yeah, a little under the radar, Big Johan, but when you dig into the stats of the year he had, and he had some competition. You know, Dave Dennis, we've talked about Aston Fortain. It really was a great year for locks in it Major was. League Rugby. I mean, I, I mean, I think if you looked at year two of Major League Rugby, you would say lock might have been the weakest position. But we have so many quality locks. And I, I think the thing about, you know, you talked about the um, leadership of Mikey Teo. I think that um, Momsen was, was as, as big a leader. Um, and the physicality that he brings kind of like set the standard for ATL. So love, love what he did. Got, you know, interesting selection, you know, by Scott Lawrence to playing at number eight. But I think that was to bring a little bit more of that physicality. And, uh, um, you know, one of those, one of those uh, um, good guys that, that you got to pull for down in ATL. Oh, good, good guy is probably understatement of the year. Just an absolute great guy, Johan Momsen. And the good news in there for ATL fans, he's re-upped and signed to come back in 2022. So he'll be raring to go for ATL. All right, let's move on. We've had the big boppers. Now we get to the good-looking roosters. Let's go to our back of the year, who comes from a franchise everyone knows. He is coming up now. All right, joining me now is our Major League Rugby 2021 back of the year, Billy Meeks. Uh, not only back of the year, champion too. It's been just over a week removed from the game. How has the last week been? And what of the last week can you actually remember? That's a good question. Um, thanks for having me on again, guys. Absolute pleasure. Um, if you had have asked me to come on probably a day earlier, I probably wouldn't have been <laughs> from the last week's celebrations. But yeah, it's been good. It's been a good week. Obviously, um, very emotional week and, yeah, satisfaction and just, um, yeah, just, yeah, probably satisfying is the overriding emotion at the moment um, and relief for us. You know, there's a lot of pressure going into the final game and, 
you know, I think for everyone, everyone's had a pretty difficult year for all different number of reasons. And um, yeah, just for everyone that was involved in our squad and the whole organisation to, to come away with that result um, was really, really special. So yeah, feeling grateful. It, it's always fascinated me the, the the pressure of expectation and how different athletes and teams handle it. And I think uh, anyone would be hard pressed to say that the Guiltinis weren't the favourites to win it. How do you address that in camp? Like I know for, for me, it was very opening coming into the locker room after the game down to the sheds and kind of looking at the culture that has been built there. And I know you're a big part of it, but how did the senior players and guys like yourself kind of deal with that expectation of being overriding favorites, not only for the season, but then in the championship, in your home stadium, you know, with all the pomp and circumstance? Yeah, I suppose it was a tough one. It was it was about probably walking the walk without talking the talk. I think all the talk was done for us um, externally and by everyone else. So we had this expectation that you're talking about and then probably just about living up to it. We, we knew from day one, once the squad was assembled, that we had a squad that was capable of winning the competition. Um, but it's not as easy as, as, as it is said. So um, I'd, I'd probably say culture is the number one reason that we did win this competition. Um, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not clicking off the field, then it's just not going to go right for you. And, you know, credit to Darren Coleman, his staff and Dave Dennis. Um, you know, culture was probably the number one thing they drove from the very beginning. Um, we're a very vulnerable group, um, very open and we shared a lot off the pitch that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't see. Um, and throughout the season, it, it was a constant in our team meetings, um, being vulnerable and people sharing life stories and doing all different kinds of things to just really come close as a group. And um, I think in turn, that probably definitely made us tighter as a group on the field. And I think, um, you know, we got off to a very good start based on us having good players um, because I think the league took a while to sort of warm up and teams started to gel a bit more. So, we're probably in the, at the front end of the season relying on having good players and um, just playing a sort of free open style of rugby, which got us some good results. But then as the league tightened up, everyone got better. We had to figure out a way to try and still get results. But how do we get those results against far better opposition, teams that are hungrier, they figured out the way we play. Um, and that comes down to how bad you want it as a team and how close you are. So, you know, I've been asked this a few times since since we won and even before we won, you know, what's the what's the best thing about the Giltinis? And it's definitely hand on heart, the culture and what we've sort of created this year as a group. You won a comp before? I haven't won a competition. No. I won a European Cup um, with, with Gloucester uh, a few years back, but obviously that was pretty special. But to win a competition with a team that is sort of your end goal from the very beginning, uh, no, I haven't done that. So it's a pretty euphoric experience. It's been it's been real opening, Macy. Not only for me, I think a lot of people is hearing yourself talk about what it means and the experience. And I think sometimes even people overseas who haven't had a chance to experience Major League Rugby and and the sporting culture in America can sometimes get a little bit like, oh, like come on now, it's just it's a comp in America. But you kind of lose sight of like just kind of how much of an importance that is over here and what that means to the landscape over here. But your teammates as well, like. Adam Ashley Cooper and Matt Gitto, guys who, you know, as you know, have been around for a long time and, and done a lot in their careers, the way they talked about it after the game as well. And even in the days following it, like after the emotion of the, the initial win subsides, they were still very much caught up in it. Um, I, I, I'm going to actually just go back because you, you said something about vulnerability. That kind of, it's not on my question list here, but you've fascinated me a lot throughout the year and not in a creepy way I tell you missus <laughs> it's all good but 
you play like an old school player. So a guy from 20, 30 years ago, the way you play the game, you're very physical. You know, you play the game at seven. You love contact. You know, that essence of the game is very much entrenched in your, your DNA. Off the field, though, you, you're quite different. Like your approach to life and rugby, I found quite fascinating. Talk a little bit about how you kind of found that coming from somewhat of a, a transition from the macho culture of, of, you know, contact sports in Australia. But, you know, you get up in the morning, you do your gratifications, you do, you know, your breathing, you do your mobility stuff, you're drinking your greens. Like, mate, 15 years ago, I'd say even as less as 10 years ago, if, if you got caught doing that, people would have thought you were crazy. But how did you get into that? And then how have you found it's helped your rugby? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's quite a big question because I feel like, um, it's something that's sort of evolving in the sport and away from the sport, sort of in the background anyway, around sort of, I feel like it sort of touches into men's mental health, um, general well-being, the whole, just the, the general health space. But probably something that I started playing around with when I started playing professionally about eight or nine years ago. Uh, in the background, as you said, it was probably something, there was a stigma around doing things that, um, potentially would make you better but was sort of frowned upon because it just wasn't something that rugby players did because we're these tough guys that go out to battle each week and then during the week we lift weights we get we train hard and you know that's sort of it is what it is and um i feel like when i started doing it for myself i started sharing it just drip feeding it um not so much online and social media but i started telling people about it maybe younger players or guys that i was sort of developing with um and i felt like it had a really big, big impact on others um, and that that in itself was probably the the most amazing thing about me doing it, the, the effect that it had on others. Um, and then I suppose with the, the rise of social media, sort of alongside my transition into doing it, um, I started sharing it online. And still to this day, it's the number one thing that I get asked about from, you know, fans, younger players, um, even guys that aren't even involved with sport, just like the business life that they're involved with, everyday stuff. Um, is, you know, what does it do for me? What is my routine um, and how it sort of benefits everything that I'm doing? And the effect that it has on others is what drives me to keep doing it. Obviously, it's beneficial for myself. And um, I've got to a certain point where my routine is pretty down packed every single day. Um, but the effect that it has on others is really, really cool for me. Um, and I have conversations still to this day with young players and help them out with um, you know, the meditation, preparation for games, what are they eating? How are they sleeping? Um, and even just having those conversations, as you said, it wouldn't have happened, um, you know, five, 10 years ago because it was stigmatized or frowned upon. But um, yeah, I think it's sort of starting to become normalized. I know the conversations we have here around the club, like the conversations now have probably changed in the last five years from someone saying, oh my God, I can't believe you're meditating this morning. Like that's so weird. Yeah. To, hey, I saw that you were meditating this morning. I actually tried that yesterday. I found it really beneficial. Or how do you do it? Like I'm struggling with it a bit. Like it's never, it's never a bad thing anymore. It's always seen in a positive light. So, you know, I'm glad you asked me about it because it is probably the single biggest thing that has changed the way I do things. And I feel like I get asked about the most. So yeah, it's been a really cool journey in that sense. And it's something that I'll obviously continue to do and try and sort of improve as many people on the way as I can. Yeah, mate. I, listen, I just on a personal note, I, I appreciate you doing it and putting it out there. As a guy who struggled with headspace when I played, uh, I mean, it would have been great to, to be a young guy and kind of see what you're doing 
and being able to kind of learn from you how you're doing it. So I actually started doing it even as an old, older, I won't say old, but older guy now. My wife started doing it. And um, I don't know if she follows you online or not. I better actually check that and make sure she doesn't. But no, it's, and yeah, so I think, I think it's great, mate. And, and I think it is, like you said, it's creating a, a new thought process and, and a new identity for rugby that, hey, we can go out for 80 minutes and bash each other and do all these things. Nothing changes there, but off the space, off the field, we have to take care of ourselves, not only physically, but mentally as well. There's been too many great players gone too soon because of headspace issues. So I, I think I speak for a lot of people and appreciate you being so public out there and, and helping with that. All right, let's let's talk a little footy now. Uh, back of the year, you, you almost got knocked out of the running because of that game at seven. You almost won forward of the year, but I said no. Nah, give him the points for that one and put it back in the in the center jersey, uh, the twelve jersey. Yeah. What was your standout performance? Don't say the seven games. I think that was pretty that was a pretty special performance from you. But playing in the centers, what was your standout game this year? Um, you know, it's a funny one. I- it's probably one that a lot of people wouldn't pick. Um, but personally, it was actually the first time we played Seattle. It was the game that I got injured in. Uh, it was only round two. And I feel like in round one, I'd played okay. Sort of just finding my feet in the league, what the competition was all about. Um, but I came out and I was, I was sort of, I've, I've actually looked, I've got my notes from that second game around the way I was going to approach the game. And I felt like I could really, if I played the, one I played the way I wanted to play, I could really dominate this league in the midfield. And I sort of wrote a couple of things down around um, manifestation around that game. And I went out and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. And for the first 26 minutes of that game, I was just, sometimes when you're playing, you're just in the zone. And I was, I was just in that zone. Every time I touched the ball, I felt like I could beat defenders. I, was, I felt like I had time on the ball. Uh, defensively, I felt super comfortable. And it's just one of those games that I felt like I was just in my groove. So it was, it was a really satisfying feeling. Um, but then at the same time, obviously getting injured. I think it was like 26 minutes. So it was quite early on in the game. That was quite a disappointing thing, but it was kind of the thing that drove me whilst I was injured and missed a few games to get back out there. Cause I knew that I could get, I knew I could get back to that feeling if I really wanted it. So I feel like that was to have a feeling like that. So early in a season around confidence and in the groove um, was probably a turning point for me, even though it was round two. Yeah. And how, how were the expectations coming into major league rugby? And then obviously what are your thoughts now on the competition? Yeah, to be honest, it was a bit of a mixed bag. I, I wasn't too sure what to expect. I, I was pretty certain it wasn't going to be quite where Super Rugby is, where I've, where I've come from, or the Premiership, um, just to the new nature of you know the new competition um, and where it's at at the moment. But um, I'd probably say my biggest challenge coming over here, or the, my biggest worry was that I wasn't going to be being challenged the way I was elsewhere. And I, I can honestly say now that I have been. Um, the competition has exceeded my expectations tenfold. Um, I think the teams are coached really well. So strategically, each team has their own sort of way that they play, which has been really cool to sort of learn about. Um, and then here at the Guiltinis, obviously, we've got an array of players that's really driven me to be better. We drive a really high standards around on and off the field. Um, and then, yeah, just generally the competition has sort of exceeded what I thought it would be. So... Um, I'm really excited about the next few years because obviously I'm here at the Bill Teenies next year and um, this competition is obviously only going to get better and attract better and better players. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely exceeded and, um, you know, I can only see it getting better from here. Yeah, so that was going to be the next question back next year. You just answered that one. Uh, Steve Halls, Halls, he's the new head coach. Does he have the same fashion sense as DC or is he a bit savvier in the, the locker room after a championship win? 
it's neck and neck, to be honest. Hoylesy's oh, pretty that bad. Most of times, yeah. Um, but I mean, if he if he gets the same results, I don't care what he wears, to be honest. No, that's true. I actually that's kind of the mentality I think DC may have had after that game. <laughs> I thought it was Nathan Highmarsh running around in the in the locker room, all that butt crack hanging out. But you reckon you reckon he only packed two pairs of boardies <laughs> and a pair of flip flops or something for the whole year. So I don't know how he survives, but he's a man uh, of simple. He is, he is. Well, Mixie, I appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the off-season. Uh, I know you're going to stay pretty busy out there and there's a lot to do in the LA area, but looking forward to seeing you back on the field next year with the Giltinis, mate. Thanks a lot. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Billy Meeks. Well, this was a tough one because we saw some great performances throughout Major League Rugby. And I, I joked with him, he almost lost this award by playing seven. There were people screaming, let's strip it. He's betrayed the backs, but uh, he he really was. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I actually don't think this was that close. And I think that I, I, I think there's a lot of really good backs, but I don't think there are many that can have the impact in the game that Billy Meeks can have because he doesn't just play as a back. Right. So he does that work at the breakdown in particular. He's so good there. He turns the ball over. He helps generate quick ball, but he also like creates line breaks, you know, um, supports line breaks. He does all that stuff. So, you know, I think that it like he was like to me, he was the outstanding back in the league. Yeah. I I think I've said it on the show. If if I was starting a team from scratch and everyone was available, he'd be one of the first guys I would sign. I just and and another big part of driving that culture. You know, I talked a bit about of it how, you know, he's sort of trying to change the landscape on the mental side of things and uh, being a leader there with younger players on taking care of yourself emotionally and mentally away from rugby and how that's helped him become a better player in, in the long run. So, all right, let's go to the young guns now. So this one uh, criteria was, I believe, you had to be a college graduate draft pick you know for this rookie because technically Matt Gitto was an MLR rookie this year but we had to throw in some guidelines here to make sure this didn't go squirrely but let's go now to our rookie of the year who was a draft pick and he did get drafted by an MLR team to find out who it is you're gonna have to wait to right now All right, joining me now is Major League Rugby's Rookie of the Year for 2021 from Nola Gold, Andrew Guerra, Notre Dame College originally. How good was that? I still remember your name coming out uh, a bit over 12 months ago now to Nola yeah. Gold. What, what are your memories of that day? Oh, no, it was a great day. Um, it was I, it was definitely like an anxious, didn't know what to expect kind of day. Uh, talked to a couple of teams going into the draft, but I... I thought my best chances of getting drafted were going to be by Noah. So going into it, I was like, all right, uh, I figured I wasn't going to be the second pick. I knew probably not would go there. And I was like, all right, if it's, it's either going to be 10 or maybe a bust altogether. So uh, it was a great day. I had some family and friends over. So it was either going to be a, a celebratory day of getting drafted, kind of bet on yourself, like invite people over for it, or it's going to be a bust and you're kind of just sitting there looking like an idiot. But Thank God it all worked out, and uh, it ended up being a great night, and uh, couldn't have been couldn't have gone to a better place. So definitely that Absol- going Absolutely, I tell you who wasn't rookie of the year, Brian Knoll. So suck it, Fitzy, you got your picks mixed <laughs> up. 
No, no, no. Nah. a great dude. Nolte's <laughs> a great dude. Yeah, he is yeah. a great dude. Fitzy, though. Oh, that guy. No, <laughs> love Fitzy. Even if he chastises uh, for how I eat hot dogs. But, mate, let's just talk a little bit about your year. Uh, get drafted. Obviously, your second-round pick for Nolte. You head down to there. The scouting uh, on you, it was obviously myself involved as, as part of the draft, was uh, great player, tenacious, hungry, maybe a little undersized for MLR immediately. Yeah, look at you. No, you remember that. You yeah. turn up to Nola Gold and you were, I'm not even going to, you were sized. You were ready to rock and roll. <laughs> so I, I must have had some old film or something, but you turned up ready to go. Was your intentions this year coming in and, and, you can you can be honest here and say, hey, yeah, I, I came in ready to go. You were ready to play this year, weren't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I thought I, I always look at things just like kind of you go in there, give it your best effort, like genuinely put everything 100 into it, and good things will happen. So that's the kind of way I looked into it. I was like, I'm gonna dedicate myself, whatever coaches tell us to do, I'm gonna do. Um, and I, and obviously as an athlete, you know what it takes. Like, you know, if you're working hard, you know, if you're doing the things that the coach have asked you, the things that, you know, you need to be prepared mentally. So coming into the season, I was just kind of like, uh, I don't care about all the outside noise. I don't care about if I'm supposed to play, if I'm not supposed to play, what position I'm supposed to play or whatnot. I'm just going to come in there do the best I can every single day, uh, put my maximum effort in. And like I said, you know, if you put the maximum effort in or not. So I made sure every single day I was like, did I do that? And I, and I made sure it was a yes answer every single day. And I knew good things would happen. So uh, when I coming into Nola this year, yeah, I, I wanted to spot, I wanted to play, and I knew it was up to me to make that happen. So on that list of things you wanted to take in 2021, was uh, playing for the USA Eagles on that list? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I, I, it was. It's not like, yeah, I, that it was. That's surreal that I was able to get a chance to play with the Eagles uh, this year. And I, I'd be lying if I said it was something. Obviously, it's like a long-term goal. Um, I was in like the, I was in like an academy thing that they had in the, uh, the past fall. So like, it's kind of, it was like a long-term goal, obviously playing as an American player, you want to play for the Eagles, but uh, it wasn't something I was thinking about immediately. Uh, I was, like I said, I was kind of taking it step by step, like get my foot in the NOLA, uh, play, play the best that I can, uh, prove myself in the MLR. And I knew the rest would take care of itself. Um, it happened definitely a little quicker than I thought it would, but obviously I'm very thankful that it happened and honored to represent USA. Yeah, mate, never take that away from you now either. That's the, the beauty of it. Uh, when you get to NOLA, who did you gravitate towards? What uh, player did you kind of work with well, formed a bond with, learn a lot from? Who kind of was your uh, your sensei, so to speak? Oh, yeah. So, so I think the older guys uh, that come to mind, like uh, you have Cam Dolan, a veteran that kind of takes you under his wing and he like teaches the ropes on the field. Um, and then like more older guys, you have Dino Waldron, um eric howard and kyle bailey like when i first came in those are kind of veterans that have played at the for, for their national teams and they know what it takes at this level so those are guys that kind of took you in under a wing showed you some tough love but they taught you at the same time and you saw what they did every day and you, you knew by watching them they they know what it takes obviously they've been doing it for a long time they've done everything that they possibly could to get to the national team play overseas play for them all are for years uh, those are guys who kind of just lead, they lead by example and they'll help you out with stuff on the field as well. So they definitely took me under the wing when I first got here. Yeah. Now, obviously the big highlight, uh, missing out in the playoffs obviously is, is tough, uh, but the highlight was that run. What was it? Six games in a row on the road. Yeah. Uh, culminating in the win over LA in, in LA, the only team that was able to beat LA in LA this yep. season. 
how is the vibe in camp during? I, I just imagine that road games are tough, but you actually become closer as a team when you're on the road. Right after that stretch, I'm getting a feel that we're in a pretty, you know, joyous kind of. Uh, I'm trying to think of a a word that I can say legally on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> feel in in the camp. How how was that experience for you being a part of that run? Oh, the, the run was amazing, and. Uh... We, I didn't play in the LA game. I didn't play actually like the, the guys that we toured for USA during that time. So um, w- watching that game specifically and seeing how the boys played was unbelievable. Like I could have been more proud to be part of Nola gold because they, they put everything they could on that field and to pull out that one, like deemed like all the biggest upset in MLR history or whatever. It, it, it just showed like the boys put their heart on the field and it was amazing to watch. Um, but then the entire run all together, like you have a guy like Ryan Fitzgerald, He's coming into the, into the meetings every single week, firing the boys up. Like, this is what it's going to take. We got six six road games in the season, but we're going to be the road warriors, and we're going to try to make the best of this, and we're going to make the run. Like, why not us? And we won five of the six, and, I mean, obviously things didn't work out. We didn't make the playoffs, but at the end of the day, I think we could look at ourselves and say we put everything we could into it, and there's really no regrets because we know we gave it our best shot. And this is probably not going to be a lot of uh, consolation now, but – Honestly, I think that's the foundation on what you could go and do something special next year on, like knowing that, hey, what we did here and, and build off that. But So the LA game, you're over in Europe. Did, yep. did you stay up and watch the game or did you just wake up and watch the replay? No, we. That, I think it was at 5 in the morning in England. So I, I slept. But I woke up at like, I think like 7 or 8 a.m. And I it wasn't, I want to say it was game of the week. So you couldn't watch it on the rugby network right away. So I watched it on. You, like, you could because you're in, in the UK. Right. Yeah. So I watched it on, um, on our, like on our own film, like our huddle account. I watched, I rewatched the game through there, like our own personal oh. film, but yeah, you, watching that, like I said, it was unbelievable watching this. I could have been happier, but I, I, did I, you I know knew the result. Oh, you did. Okay. No, yeah. I, I knew we won because the group chat was going crazy. Like the team group chat, everyone's going like, Oh yeah, the good job boys. Like this is crazy. And then rewatching the game, I, I could have been happier. I was going to say, did you watch it with RJ and Cardi? That would have been fun. <laughs> no, no, but the, the boys are definitely uh, chatting to them a little bit. Ah, it's good stuff. So you you personally, what was the highlight for your season? What was the best game you felt you played this year for Nola Gold? Uh, best game I played for Nola Gold? That's a good question. Um, I think uh, the San Diego game kind of sticks out to me. When we played against the Legion, Um we lost, we, we kind of got throttled that game, but like individually, I thought I played one of my best games. Um, I, I scored my first first and only try so far in MLR, uh, had a good amount of tackles, kind of got all over the field in rucks, and, and I, I thought that I really put myself out there that game. And I kind of, that kind of boosted, uh, I don't know if my name in MLR, but kind of gained some re- uh, respect in the league playing well against a team like that. And then obviously I went on a good run after that kind of like that kind of boosted my confidence as well. After playing that game, mm. I, I knew I could play well against great players. And then I went on a little run there playing well. So I think that game sticks out to me for sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Isn't it? There's those little moments where all of a sudden you, you go from like wanting to belong to like, yeah, I belong. And then your exactly. exactly. It was kind of, yeah, a moment of recognition, uh, like for myself, self-recognition that I knew that I could, uh, I could play on this level and like, yeah. Toughest, toughest opponent this year. Who was the hardest guy to play against? Hardest guy, or hardest team. Give me both. Uh, the hardest team, I I'd, I'd say Atlanta for 
for Nola because obviously we lost them twice and that's the team we kind of beat to get over the hump. They're just so they're so disciplined and well respected for that. And then their, their defense is is top notch. So uh, toughest team, I would say them. And then as far as the toughest opponent, um, I, I say and the weeks leading up to him, like we played Mikey Teo. Uh, There's so much talk about how good he was. And it, obviously he's very well respected. He's an absolute baller and he makes things happen. So uh, going into that game, I think that was uh, definitely a, a guy that we respected the most in the league in terms of preparing for. So I'd say he'd be the toughest opponent. Yeah. It, it's funny sometimes you'll play against guys that- you hear the hype, you get out there and you're like, I don't get it. I don't know why there's hype around this guy. <laughs> and there's other times where you get out there and you're like, oh, I get it now. It makes sense. Like, exactly. I think Mike, Mikey's one of those guys that you don't really appreciate how good he is until you play against him and you yeah. have to try to tackle him. And you're like, that's not as easy yeah. as what I thought it was going to be. But exactly. you love the challenge. No, he's a, he's a great player. Definitely, he definitely earns that respect. So what are the big fixes you're looking for 2022? Back in NOLA, we'll get that out of the way first. So NOLA goal fans, you're back, you're back next year? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll be back in NOLA. Perfect. What are the big fixes? What can we see uh, from you next year? Um, as a team, I think we're going to come out. Uh, one thing that we struggled early on with was our discipline. Um, I, I think we were one of the most penalized teams in the league. So I think one, yeah, that's thank, something that Thanks gonna... a lot, Juan. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I was penalized quite a lot myself, so I won't. Uh, no point in being <laughs> um, But no, I think that's one thing that we can fix. This is a little penalties, like giving away obviously field position or giving away points is uh, detrimental. So that's some things like we it costs cost us the game at times. And as you saw at the end of the season, that's all it took was a couple points here and there, and we're in the playoffs. So um, those little things add up. So it's something that we're gonna have to take care of. And then just uh, finishing, I think in the. Uh, finishing finishing our um, offensive drives, our attacking drives, we have to we have to score more. I, I think we we lied to ourselves if we said we weren't efficient. If we were efficient this year on attack in terms of uh, finishing off, like we had, we had great phases, but sometimes we struggle to finish it off. So I think just finishing finishing our attacking phases with tries um, will be a big fix going into next year. Well, mate, you were an absolute uh, surprise packet for me this year. I know internally it was no surprise, your successes, and I'm I'm super happy for you and, and crown that with Rookie of the Year this year. I'm excited to see the growth of Andrew Guerra next year and what that means for Nola Gold and the USA Eagles, mate. So congrats on a, a fantastic season. Tell Fitzy he's a grub for me. Nate Osborne's a great <laughs> dude, though. Fitzy, we'll, we'll talk offline about that. No, I'm just kidding, Fitzy. I know he's still got connections in the, uh, the armed forces, so... I'll see the, the laser pointer on the forehead at one point. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know. It's not a guy you want to mess with. But no, no <laughs> thank you a lot. It means a lot. And uh, I could have been more honored. A lot of great players this year uh, coming from the draft. And uh, it's a great honor to have it. So thank you very much. Yeah, no worries. Hopefully see you suiting up this fall for the Eagles in the qualifiers, mate. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Beautiful. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate yeah. it, brother. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. There you go. Andrew Guerra. Uh, Bears fan, which is unfortunate, but uh, what a year. It, it's, it, it's interesting, right? Because you looked at Nola and you said, you know, going into the season, you were like, who, who, who did you think would be playing seven for Nola? Uh, Devin Short was my Devin pick. Short or Malcolm May. Like those were the two, like, like Malcolm May played seven last year. And so this guy, Andrew Guerra, like really forced his way in. Like he forced his way in with how he played. He didn't start as, as, as you know, 
a standout on that team, but really played his way in and, and you know, was rewarded by Gary Gold. And I think it's one of the great things that MLR is doing to allow some of these guys to be a step up. And I, I just want to say something, and, and, you know, I just wanted to explain something to everyone is that um, I apparently am, am, am not allowed to interview players for the uh, awards. I can only interview coaches. Um, I gave Stats Boy my availability and he literally scheduled every interview with a player when I wasn't available. So well, well, to be choice. fair, to be fair, half of them were scheduled before you gave me your availability. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But the other half you deliberately did. So look, look, let's go. So I understand you and Dan, Stats Boy, have a little like, you know, Pete can't be left alone with a player, but he can talk to coaches kind of deal. I can get it. No, look, Aaron's being nice. The players requested you weren't there. Um, I, I, I feel as though you're ready to hear that now. Thank uh, you. Thanks. I'm, I'm definitely uh, ready to hear it. Little, little benefit of A, unemployment for me and, and B, Pete being busy. So I got to feast on all the players for the interviews. You're not unemployed, Dan. You are between jobs. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Jeez, that's why you're the, you're the professor. You're the man. All right. Let's actually get Pete involved now. He wouldn't miss this one. I mean, he he would skip his own funeral for this one, Pete Steinberg. Coach of the year, the big one, the top gong, worth all the hair loss, the gray hairs, the stress, the late nights, is this award. The absolute Everest of coaching in the world is to be the MLR Coach of the Year. And that is this guy right now. All right, joining us now is Major League Rugby's Coach of the Year for 2021, uh, the Cinderella story off Major League Rugby, Sean Pittman, Utah hey, Warriors yeah, head coach. Sorry, oh, I was building. I was trying to build oh, attention. I messed Did, up. That's all right. I don't know. That's all right. No, no, no. Keep going. Now, no, no, jump we, in. We, we aren't good enough to edit it, so we just have to go with whatever we say. Peters, so. <laughs> we just had you on the show. What's going on? What do you mean you just had me on the show? Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you, I, I'm sorry. Can we just restart this? Please. Can we just restart? I, I no, but this is staying in. This is staying yeah, in. This is so the best part, this is Dan, the best what part of the Dan show. What Dan meant to say was, what Dan meant to say is, congratulations, Sean, for being, for being voted the MLL Coach of the Year. Is that what you meant to say, Dan? Yeah, I'm just thinking the first 30 seconds of this is telling me that maybe there's someone behind the scenes actually pulling the strings in Utah. Should we call Sean Davies up for this? Sean. Sean, bring Sean out. Yeah, Sean. Sean. yeah bring, bring Sean Davies out. Congratulations, Pitters, on Coach of the Year and the job that you did with the Warriors this year. Outstanding effort. Uh, one short semifinal, mm-hmm. a close game against in LA. For a moment there, it, it looked like you had them beat and then that last little effort there from Harrison Goddard to Ryan James get it done. But First, mate, give us your thoughts on the season that was and in your time with the Warriors. Um, well, can, well, thank you. And then um, I had actually had a question, like, who votes for this? That's my only – that's one of my questions. Um, so I voted for you. Pete didn't. We'll just oh, leave it at that. See how it is. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. I'll remember that. Yeah. Um, no, the season – Okay. First of all, I'm just going to, like, as, as we're already off to a bad note, I would just say that literally when the results came out, of all the award winners, Dan's comment was, I didn't vote for any of these guys. I, I voted so, for Sean. So, so I just, like, I, I absolutely voted for you. Uh, I, 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 uh, you. You were one of the top two. Honestly, I can't remember who I voted, but you were definitely on my list. I'm, I'm pulling up my, uh, my vote ballot right now to prove 
my coach of the year, if you take a look, what? Well, oh, it's not going to come in, is it? No, it's not. It's, uh, it's, trust me, I wouldn't have gone to that length knowing that the green screen <laughs> would have messed it up. Uh, but talk, talk a little bit about 2021 with the Warriors. Uh, everyone knows the history. We don't have to go into that. Probably the most hot and cold team in the league. Started the season in a similar vein, but very quickly turned it around and, and probably uh, now one of the more successful franchises in MLR. Uh, give us just a quick 30,000-foot overview of how your season was. You know, it was uh, it was quite stressful at times, but uh, overall, like I think um, we had a lot of fun. I think that can be a, a pretty big foundation for what we did this year, and I think the players really enjoyed themselves. And, you know, as a staff, we enjoyed ourselves coaching the individuals that we had. Um, you know, and, um, you know, that, that laid the foundation for, you know, I think how successful we really were when people were happy to come to training, happy to come to the meeting, happy to have some really good input into what we were trying to achieve and do, um, and, and same with the coaching staff and the staff overall, you know, so, um, you know, this year, you know, we started out really well with the first, the first two wins, you know, um, went into a bit of a slump and then we just kind of ebbed and flowed throughout the rest of the season until we hit that um that that pretty long streak that we got um and that kind of built the foundation for for where we finished in the semis i'd like to talk about that um that little dip i mean it was it, it was almost like that the uh what is it it's like the forge right because you lost 22 21 to new england and then you lost 20 mm-hmm. um, to 15 to seattle and then 31 29 and then after that you like kept winning all the close games yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what, like, what you guys did as you went through that? Because it wasn't like you were being blown out. It wasn't like there were, yeah. you know, you were playing well, but you weren't able to finish. And then you became the best finishing team in the league. Yeah, I think like when we, so when that slump kind of happened, Sean, myself, we 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 chatted about um, what can we do to make us successful. Well, just keep doing what we're doing because we're at, we're scoring tries. We're doing things right. <clears throat> now, what can we tighten up on? You know, penalties and errors. And we ended up being one of the least penalized teams in the league and the least, the least amount of errors as well. So that was a focus point for us when we were going into the season. Um, and then in, that, in those three games, that was kind of something that, you know, peaked its head, was just errors uh, in really key areas of the field that cost other teams to be, uh, well, gave other teams possession inside our own half <clears throat> or penalties uh, that kind of leaked, uh, you know, work teams up to uh, like march the teams up to pitch. So, you know, we commuted, we chatted a ton about that and how can we eliminate those things. And we really backed the boys. We kept doing what we were doing because we knew we were going to be really successful doing it, um, especially on attack. Defense was a constant work on this whole year. But, you know, that three, you know, people were like, oh, we should change something. And you're like, well, we don't need to change anything. We just need to tighten up our game a little bit. I think that's one area where people go wrong sometimes is it's like, I'll oh, throw all the toys out of the pram. Let's change everything when they're losing. But no, it's just back the players, back the boys and our um, – you know, we're going to, we're going to achieve something like, we'll, 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 we'll go, we'll get over this hump no matter what it's just going to happen. So, you know, we, we express that to the boys and just let's keep doing what we're doing this tighten some screws. And I, I guarantee we'll be really successful as the season goes on. If we continue doing what we're doing. And was there a game for you, Sean? Like I know, you know, first year as a head coach, right. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of stress. Turns out there's a lot of more jobs you have to do as a head coach than as yeah, an assistant. So many, right. So, so that like, <laughs> just a lot more going on. But was there a game either that you were most proud of in terms of how you guys performed or maybe the game that you were like, wow, we actually have a special group here that can really do something? 
gosh, there's a couple of games. I mean, you, you can watch the old glory game. You can watch that Seattle game. Uh, I think the Seattle game was something that kind of put us in a really good spot and gave us a lot, a lot of confidence because we knew like we going to Seattle, that Seattle team was completely different than the first time we played them. Um, they were so much better, um, you know, and, and, and truthfully, you know, they should have won that game, but somehow, you know, we eked out the performance. We, um, and we got that try at the end with Ollie. Uh, and I think that was a complete change for our locker room. And the players really knew it was like, well, we're just down by a try. Doesn't matter. You know, and then we, then we, the next week we do the San Diego thing where it's 17 points down. And, and then that happens. And they're like, like, it's okay playing down. That's fine. Like we can do this. This is easy. So I think those are kind of the things that those, those, those two games are really turning points for us in the season where it gave us a lot of confidence and understanding who we were um, kind of as a team. Um, you know, we're, you know, people are labeled the comeback Kings, but I just think we just back each other and we know like, Hey, like it's okay. Like things are going to happen in a game of rugby. We all know that, you know, ball is going to get knocked on. It's going to bounce funny, like things like that. People are going to score tries. But as long as we hold our composure um, and we as a staff and the bench and the players on the field all back each other um, to accomplish what we're trying to do, you know, that's, that's kind of what we did. Now, verbalizing that's one thing. Living it is a totally different thing. <laughs> yeah. As a player, you're in control of your destiny on the field. You can turn up or not turn up. As a coach, once the whistle blows, your job is effectively over. Give us a little yeah. insight into the emotional roller coaster going through those weeks because I would feel that winning close games is probably just as stressful and, and full of anxiety as losing a close game or yeah. you'd almost rather get blown out or blow someone out so you can be like, okay, that's done and dusted. How were you in those close games? Like give us a little insight into your experience. <clears throat> um, it was, uh, I mean, you know, I'm going to be honest, Sean's a little more emotional one than I am. So, um, you know, we're, we're both, we're both pretty passionate about the game and the players that we have and our team. So, you know, we, um, yeah, we got fiery in the box, <laughs> to say the least, a couple times. And, um, you know, and good discussions were had and debates. And um, it was stressful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. It yep. was tough in those games. Those games um, where um, the – so, you know, we went through all those wins, those, those comeback wins, stuff like that. So when we played Rooney, that was probably the most calm I was the whole season when we went down by points. Cause I was just like, we've done this before. We're going to do it again. It is what it is. You know, like, you know, when Mika scores that try and then we just have to, you know, keep hold, you know, hold on a possession for, you know, a minute or two uh, to win the game. I was just like, you know, during that whole game, I was just like, you know, we'll just kind of see what happens. Like, I think we're, we're going in a really right, a really good direction. But when that happened, you know, they go up and we're just like, okay, that's fine. We're going we're to score a try. No big deal. So like I was, it was yeah you don't you don't have to lie Sean. you can tell people i was up there with you calling oh, that game in person on. i looked over at you and you looked at me and i smiled and you just went yeah it's gonna be okay i got big dan here you actually left i think it was 10 minutes in the game and you stormed off i'm not not in a half i'm not upset but i'm like i'm like starting to think if i said something did i just say something about the warriors where he's kind of like you know oh, up yours you know and i'm out of here but uh I know Pete wants to jump into your your coaching more of that, and I'll let the professor, the coach to coach conversation. I want to touch on the player side of things. Who on your playing roster do you feel really grew the most in twenty twenty one? Like 
I know it's tough to individually isolate people because I think you, as a coach, you know, you have a relationship with everyone, but who really stood up this year and, and grew as a player and, and as a person for you? I think there's a, there's, a, there's quite a few standouts in our group. Um, you know, if we can, Oh gosh, there's so many, there's a lot of guys that stood up for us. Um, if we just start from like the backfield. So, you know, Mikey Teo came in first year at the club, stood up, you know, he was leading the standards massively for us. And, um, and it was a huge leader on the field. Mika Cruz. Um, you also think about a couple of the individuals like James, uh, Buffalo, um, Calvin Whiting, you know, Tyler Fisher, those two pairing in the center, you know, Calvin's arguably the, the best defensive center in the league. Um, you know, he shows it week in and week out. And to be honest, he, he grew massively this year in his depth and his his depth of understanding was always there, but the confidence in which he approached the game, um, and, you know, and once he went to the USA stuff, when he came back, you know, his, his ability just to convey to the team and have people buy into what we were trying to do was absolutely amazing. And, you know, same thing with Mikey um, with that defensive group that we had and um, you know, Michael Baska, like, come on, coming in, coming from NOLA, coming to us, you know, where he's achieved something so great, getting capped by the, like the U S and you just keep working forward. You got, you know, Saya coming off the bench um, for us, who's, you know, a 34 year old, just specialist with coming off the bench. He's mm -hmm. good at what he does. And, you know, when he, when he started that semi, um, you know, he, he had tons of, he had tons in the tank because he had only been coming off the bench all year. So he was able to make a huge impact for us and definitely win the, the man of the match for that and just keep pushing forward to our front row, like having Ollie there, gosh, Ollie, Franco, you know, uh, Angus, Paul Mullins, uh, Sama, Chad, um, uh, Ratu. Like yeah, we just, we you just don't have to really name check the whole guy. team. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I'm you're like, to, like once you start down that road, road, you're like, you got to start name. Yeah, you got to keep going. But we get you know, it. I, 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 went, I went down that road and I just followed it. Yeah, and well, we, had, think, we had a great, a good bunch of guys. Yeah, and I think, I, and I think we hear this a lot. But I think Sean, that you know, um, whenever I I hear a coach, and and I think one of the things that is, um, I think, interesting whenever I've talked to you is that you're you're very humble, right? Um, in in terms of your coaching path. But here you are, you're 33. You've already coached at a World Cup, right? You've had your first year as a head coach, taking the team to the playoffs. Like you are probably the rising star of American coaching right now, right? There aren't a lot of um, American coaches and there certainly aren't a lot of American born head coaches in the MLR, but you were thrown in, right? Like you weren't expecting yes. to be the head coach. No. So um, talk to me a little bit about you know, what was most challenging for you as a head coach that's different than being an assistant? Because it is very, very different. Um, so many things. <laughs> you know, it's not just one. But I think, the, I think the biggest thing was just like steering the ship. Like that's the tough thing. It's just like, and, and then how you, how you get other people to help you steer. You know, it's not, you're not steering the ship alone. Like there's other people that are massively contributing to like the success of that of where we you know us steering to, you know, somewhere. Um, and um, I think that's something that uh, that was, it wasn't difficult. I think it's just the person I am. It's just like, I wanted Sean Davies input. I wanted Matt Madison's input, you know, and the other individuals that were a part, like, you know, our leadership group played a huge role in our success. Um, but that's something that I feel is a good quality of mine is having people bought in 
by having the ability to give their input into what we're doing. It's not always the right way. You know, why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because of this. You know, a player comes to us and is like, hey, I want to I want to try this. Okay, well, why? Like, just tell us why. Paint the picture. So we, we have them have a lot of input, uh, which is really good. Um, and I think that's actually quite a, a good strength of our, you know, our coaching group uh, and myself. And, um, you know, and one of the struggles was, you know, the thing for me is like personal relationships are just so valuable for me, like, like massively. And uh, as a, you know, as a forwards coach, you, you could really dive deep into like, into, you know, you got like 20 guys, like really dive deep into like, I know what you're doing. I know your wife's name. I know all your kids, like all this stuff. But when you open the squad up to 41 and there's just so many different things going on and you're like, oh my gosh, like I got to get this done, but I know I need to talk to these guys about this stuff. Like I need to know them all. So that was, that was a difficult thing for me um, to do um, and be consistent with yeah, yeah. Did you find your relationships changed because you were the head coach? I mean, you're the guy that like your selections are final with you, yeah. right? Like people treat you differently than when you're the head coach than when you're the assistant. Did you did you feel that? Um, I think a little bit. They were like, "Oh, that's the authority figure." But my my big thing was just like nothing has changed. I'm still the individual that I am. I'm still the person that I am. So our relationship doesn't change. It all it is is just my, now. I my my relationship now is. I get, you know, I get to select, you know, who, who the team is every week. Um, so we were tried to, we tried to be really honest. That was our big thing this year was to say, like, we're honest about everything that we do. This is why you aren't playing. This is what you need to do. So that was a big thing for us. It's just thing that, and that helped us, well, that guided us through the year by, by the tail end, people understood where they were at and why they weren't playing. So those conversations became a lot easier, um, especially in that semifinal where we had let some people not play. Um. So uh, um, I'm going to let that one go. I don't want to dive deep in that, but that's, yeah. but, but I think it's the sign of a strong culture, right? The sign of a strong culture is being able to have the big games and still make the right decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and having those decisions made not by you, but by the yeah. team. And mm-hmm. I think that, that 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 showed a lot of the culture. Last question I have before I hand it back to Dan, who probably has some ridiculous, like non-rugby related <laughs> questions for you. Um, what's different about Sean Pittman, the coach now, than in January, like where's been like where have you grown as as a coach? And it could be technical on the field, it could be like you know any yeah. any part of it. But where do you think you've had the greatest growth? Oh, I'm, uh, Mid section. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've I've gone from not being a defense coach to a really poor defense coach. <laughs> God. Uh, you know, it's so but, but hold on. It's you, so, guys, yeah. you guys had you guys were one of the leading positive tackling teams in the like I think in the first half of the season, then you kind of lost that a little bit. Yeah, we did. We did. We we went from like having more line speed to more of like a, a stagnant defense. And so, was, uh, so was, was that sorry, a choice? Was that a choice? Um like, like, I think I think it was from our training habits. So that so that three week block where we started losing games. Um, I think, well, we got, we still had a lot of dominant tackles and stuff like that. We had, we changed our training environment to, because of, we had gone so, so physically hard in that first, you know, what, what we got five, six weeks right. in that preseason, we went super hard. And, uh, we got to the point when, when we started doing our metrics of like how we're tracking people, um, that some guys were like, their numbers were really down and we're like, okay, we got to, you know, back off a little bit. And then we're just like, so, and it was like just a couple guys who were like, oh, we'll pull off on everybody. But it should have been, we just pull out individuals. That was another thing. It's just like, don't, 
just because of one person, don't change the whole team yeah, yeah. of how our training habits was. That was a big learning. So after that three, we, like after the first, after that Seattle week <clears throat> where, you know, we lost to Seattle uh, coming off that New England loss, we, we changed their training habits back to the high, super high intensity um, training environment that we had done basically in the preseason. Right. And that, you know, that showed off, you know, quite well. Once When we played that San Diego game, we looked a lot better. And then that game after that, you know, that's so I want to go back to like so other than so so you're you know a lot more about defense than you did, but you're yeah, still massively. not that good at coaching it. <laughs> no, no, wow, it's no a lot more about defense. Uh, uh, slowly growing there, um, okay. you know, and you know it's you know as well as I think it's you know something that uh, time management, you know, is, is something yeah. that has definitely improved um, with having so many hats on, you know, especially with the small staff that we had. Um, Oh, was that a shot at Davies? No. Why'd you say no, no. small, small stuff? No, 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 no. I would have said, said no, 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 no. I would have said we needed we needed a stool to yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, listen, I heard I heard the rumor that you and him were going as master blaster for Halloween, and I thought that's just <laughs> pushing it a little much. Oh, that's excessive. That's excessive. <laughs> we were All actually right. gonna go do uh, was it the Danny DeVito and um Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what that's what we're thinking about. But I just don't have the body shape for it, so it was a little tough. Who's who's your strength coach again? He's a good dude. Matt Madison. Amazing. Matt, that's right. Yeah, I think he could whip you into shape. He was in he was in good no, nick. I don't yeah, he's he's in very good nick. Great, great skier, by the way. Amazing skier. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. So thank you. Yeah, interesting fact. You know, yeah. if you want to go skiing, reach out to him. So, if Sean Pittman comes back in 2022, what's different about the Warriors next year? Um, like we stay, we're, well, of course, we're always going to stay with the attacking, attractive brand of rugby that we want to play because that's just what people want to see. I think the the area of focus for us and what changes is the emphasis on defense, um, and you know, and having that emphasis on, of defense in regaining possession quite quickly after you know teams get the ball i think if we can do that we just turn into such a more dangerous team you know that's even been the transitional thought of you know what we need to do this year or and over the next couple of months before the season starts um to really kind of achieve something really really great with the organization you know we're there we're on the cusp of the cusp of it but if we can consistently be really strong in that area of defense i, I think we'll it's going to be pretty st- hard to stop, you know, the Warriors as as the years progress. Yeah, you won't be yeah. on the cusp if they don't pay you. Pay the man. Pay <laughs> coach of the coach of the year. That's got an out. Shit, that. I was going to say, hopefully there's a bonus. Run, it? There's a bonus in the, in the contract. You know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's coming from the ML. That's coming from the MLR, not the, the Warriors. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, we'll take it out of our budget, mate. <laughs> I have a quick, I have, I have a question, Sean, because I know, like, at the when when you finish a season as the head coach, you're pretty exhausted, right? Like, and mm-hmm. and sometimes you just want to take a break. Did you watch the final live? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like Sean and myself were just like, we love rugby, we really enjoy it. It was super fatiguing, but after that, we just had to watch the final. We watched the final live. Uh, we texted about it as it was going. All all of our staff did, and um. You know, and so we were, we were texting about it the whole time. But now we're on to player reviews. We've been doing our player reviews in the, in the right. you know, postseason. 
Um, so we've just been kind of building that stuff out to, to be sent off pretty soon. So but it's think, constant, as you know. Yeah, I think you, I think you guys are in a great spot to be in that final next year if you can come back pretty much whole and coaching staff included, mm-hmm. Peters. It's been uh, it's been unreal to to call the games for the Warriors this year. I know stressful for you, but for the commentary teams and for the fans to yeah. watch those comebacks and it was just first class rugby all year from the Warriors. So you, you know, you should be proud of what you've been able to do there with your staff. I know you always push push praise down, which a good leader always does. So congrats on this award. Uh, I know it's probably the pinnacle of it's the pinnacle of my career, giving it to you. So oh, I'm sure you. it's your pinnacle as well. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Enjoy enjoy your two week off season and go Eagles. Go Warriors. Let's go. Well, that could go down as our longest interview in history. Uh, We actually went on for probably another 10 minutes after we actually cut And We had had about 15 minutes before as well. Beforehand too. It it was about 45 minutes. We only recorded. And and Stats Boy has to go through and and cut out a whole bunch of stuff that you said, So as always. So it's much longer than... I, I I think Sean, Sean Pittman's a rising star. This this guy's going to coach the U.S. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a battle between him and Scott Lawrence to see who who, who gets there first. But um, it's great to see such a humble guy start start his journey as a head coach and start so well. It's it's fascinating you say that because you could not get two different personalities in Scott Lawrence and Sean Pittman, like. They're not even remotely the same person, yet both effective coaches. Yeah, so. that's right. All right, Pete. Well, let's uh, let, let's wrap up 101 here. Final thoughts on the season. We're going to have to dig in. Uh, we've got a draft coming up, so we'll obviously be talking a lot of draft news in the build-up to that next week. And we but... have our giveaway. We still have to finish our, oh, our, we have to giveaway. Finish our giveaway. We have to finish Did our we giveaway. Did we get through? Yeah, Stats I, I... needs to pull that up. Pull that up. So hashtag give me a jersey so as we procrastinate about it that gives more people a chance to leave their reviews so leave your reviews on i'll I'll do the talk now um if you're on your iphone quickly like like leave a review for us just to send a note you'll be put on dan's doing it right now because dan has yet to review his own podcast even though we're doing it for 101 um and and if you're not on apple then just go onto the social media and do hashtag give me a jersey and leave a review there. There's there's a couple of leaders I think in the in the clubhouse right now, Dan, that that are in the running for the jersey. But you'll get a jersey of choice signed by me and Dan. Yeah, um, less Pete, more Dan. Uh, just my name here, not Dan. How can, how can there be more Dan? How can there be more Dan? <laughs> oh no! So we got Scary Larry and Scary Larry's wife who are riding in for a jersey. So that's pretty strong. Although I am a little salty that he whipped me so bad in the uh, Super Brew Tippums. Oh yeah, who year. won? Did did that something else? Did, Scare, did yeah, Larry, 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 Larry won. Larry smoked everyone. Um, I think I ended up fifth, so I got top five. I missed out on a podium finish. Uh, I had a really rough patch in the middle to back end of the year. I just wasn't wasn't dialed in. I think you jumped up a little bit, Professor Stats Boy. Ended up in the top twenty, I think somewhere, but. Um, Man, it was a, it was a rough year for the Pickhams. I will say that uh, without the algorithm that Larry put together, uh, the the rest of us plebs had a, a rough old go of it with a couple of interesting. And we we did we did preface the season saying that there was no preseason, so it's going to be a bit of a you know challenge early in the year to figure out who was good and who wasn't good. Turns out everyone was pretty good. 
No, we actually have a few. We, we have a few in we, we have a few ratings. So thanks to everyone that that added their rating recently. And I know there's a few on um on Twitter. So like hashtag give me a jersey. Um, we will definitely do it next week. Um, otherwise, Stats Boy, he's gonna he's he's gonna be in trouble. Although to be fair, Aaron's doing a lot of the work on the draft, and you're doing the draft as well, Dan. So I'm probably gonna have to do it. Yeah, might be on you. I think uh, I was talking That's to you. I get to choose. Stats. I get to choose quick. Let me just quickly put in a, a review under Yvonne Parkhurst or Penelope. Penelope Steinberg will do a review. We'll get her a jersey. That's how Oh, yeah. Gil Groney's all the way. No, <laughs> right. I think it, Aaron's even said today was his busiest day of MLR ever with so much going on with the draft and obviously with the show and all the interviews. But uh, we we do appreciate Aaron Castro and all the work he does on this show. And everything from Major League Rugby. Some know him as Stats Boy. Some know him as Strobro. We know him as Aaron. And we appreciate you, buddy. Don't unmute, though. Don't you even think about coming in and getting all sentimental and crying on this thing with me. We're not that kind of podcast. All right, that will wrap it up for another show for the professor, Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, our producer. I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff. Episode 101 of MLR Kickoff brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by the Rugby Shop.